Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 13. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 13. and I read something recently that <clears throat> was kind of surprising, but at the same time, after I thought about it, it wasn't surprising. Does that make sense? You know how you read something sometimes, and then, and then after you think about it, you're like, okay, I, I, that makes sense. But anyway, this this is what I read. Uh, executives of a greeting card company decided to do something special for Mother's Day. They set up a table inside a federal penitentiary, <clears throat> inviting inviting inmates to send free cards to their mom. Uh, the line the lines were so long that they had to go get more cards. Due to the success of the event, they decided to do the same thing on Father's Day. But this time, not one prisoner, not one prisoner felt the need to send a card to his dad. In fact, when asked about it, many had no idea who their fathers even were. Broken families. Studies have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, secular and 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 uh, 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 non-secular studies have proven that that a father in a home is is critical uh, to the to the health, mental health, physical health of a child. Psycho- Psychology Today wrote an article on this. I'm going to give you a small quote from the article. It said it said this. <clears throat> The, the, the article was entitled, The Importance of a Father. <clears throat> this is what it, it, again, it's just a small part of the entire article. It said, the way that fathers play with their children also has an important impact on a child's emotional, social, and social uh, development. Fathers spend a, a higher percentage of their one-on-one interaction with infants and preschoolers in <clears throat> stimulating playful activity than do mothers. <clears throat> from, uh, from these interactions, children learn how to regulate their feelings and behavior. Children with involved, caring fathers also have better educational outcomes. The influence of their father's involvement uh, extends into adolescence and young adulthood. Numerous studies find that an active and nurturing style of fathering is associated with better verbal skills, intellectual functioning, and academic achievement among adolescents. Needless to say, fathers are important. Proverbs chapter 13. Well, the book of Proverbs, and we're going to get into this in a few minutes, it was written by Solomon, uh, probably the wisest man who's ever lived, other than Jesus Christ himself, uh, wrote the book of Proverbs primarily for his, his sons. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 1, it says, A wise son heareth his father's instructions, <clears throat> but a scorner heareth not rebuke. On the surface, we oftentimes, you know, we, we as fathers hear this verse and we, wanna, we want our children to memorize this verse, do we not? 
uh, I, 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 somewhere along the way, I'm sure we made our children memorize this verse just because of no other reason it makes us feel good. But there's an underlying principle here that we miss oftentimes. And that is the father needs wisdom to be able to pass on. Let's read it again. Understanding the need of the father to have wisdom. A wise son heareth his father's instructions. But a scorner heareth not rebuke. The title of my, my message this morning simply is being a wise father. Being a wise father. Now, you know, just as Mother's Day, you know, oftentimes, you know, Mother's Day sermons are aimed at, at mothers and, and uh, <clears throat> Father's Day, we do the same thing. It's, it's kind of in the contractual agreement for pastors. You, you know, at Christmas, you preach on Christmas and Easter and so on and so forth. But the reality is, we all need to be wise, do we not? So there's just as much application could be made here for moms as dads. But it's Father's Day. <laughs> In the book of Proverbs, 23 times, Solomon uses the phrase, my son. That's one of the reasons why I believe that the, that the book of Proverbs was, uh, at least from Solomon's point of view, written to his sons. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I believe Solomon did not want his sons to make the same mistakes that he made. How, how many of you fathers would echo that sentiment other than myself? We, we all would. I mean, none, none of us want our children to make the same mistakes that we make. We all want our children to be wiser uh, and, uh, what's the word, uh, better, I, I don't, you know, uh, better human beings, I guess, uh, than we were. We want, you know, we want our children to succeed, do we not? Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 says, The proverb of Solomon, this is, this is the opening book of, of, of Proverbs, and, and Solomon, uh, the, the son of David, king of Israel, uh, he, he gives us the purpose for writing the book of Proverbs, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, uh, to the young man, knowledge and discernment. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand of proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon is right here in this verse, <clears throat> really nailing down the intent of the book. He's separating the, 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 the mindset of the people who will be reading the book. And basically what he's saying is, as, as I write down the wisdom that God has given me, you will, if you listen to it and obey it, you'll be wise. If you reject it, you're, you'll be a fool. It's really pretty simple. My son, 
hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. It is almost as though uh, uh, Solomon here is pleading with his, with his sons, read this, what I'm writing down, read it, exorb it, put, make it part of your life. Let's look at Solomon for a few minutes. Was Solomon a wise king? Was Solomon a wise king? I, I, I believe he was. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it says, In Gibeon, uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. David, Solomon's, Solomon's dad, had died. And, and the, the throne passed to his youngest son, Solomon. And Solomon is, is in preparation of taking over the, 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 the throne, the, the kingship of Israel. And, and Solomon is in Gibeon, and, and, he's, and, and I, I can't imagine what's going through this young man's mind as, as, as this transition is taking place. You know, it's one thing to know eventually that you're going to be king, but then it's another thing to have all those responsibilities. And God comes to Solomon and he says, Solomon, what can I give you? What, what one thing do you want? And I have thought about this many times, and I, I, I perfectly honest, I, I don't know that I would have said what Solomon said. Solomon replies in, in, in verse 9 and 10, he says, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. Solomon's biggest and greatest concern was to do right by the people of Israel. So when God comes to him, he says, he says Give me an understanding heart to judge thy people that I might discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge such this uh, thy so great a, peop, a, a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. See, Solomon understood that he was in over his head. How many, how many of you dads feel like you're in over your head? I did. I do. I remember when we brought uh, our first child home, Ashley. When 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 <clears throat> we brought her home, uh, I I looked at Melanie and I said, "Where's the instruction book?" <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, it, it's right here. Okay. But that's not what I was talking about. I, I was talking about diapers and, and crying and, and all of this stuff because, you know, well, I won't go in. Babies only do two things. So anyway, uh, well, three things. They sleep, cry, and, well, the other thing. Um, <clears throat> uh, and I, I felt so lost. I didn't know what to do. Not only did God give Solomon the wisdom that he needed to rule his people, but because Solomon asked for that, God gave him riches and, and honor as well. See, most of us, unfortunately, would have asked for the riches and honor and not the wisdom. 
2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. And, and King Solomon passed <clears throat> all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. He was the richest king, probably the richest king that has ever lived. He by far was the smartest, the wisest king that has ever lived, again, other than the king Jesus Christ. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. That's an amazing thought. Every king on, the, on earth at the time sought to spend time with Solomon so that they might impart some of his wisdom and take it home so that they might rule their people well too. That, that is an, an incredible amount of influence. There's no question that Solomon was a good king. But was he always a wise, godly king? Did he always walk with God? The answer to that is no. And before we get too critical of Solomon, uh, how many of us walk with God every day, all day, without fail? Uh, not, not too many of us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, it says, I, I made me great works, I, I built me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit, and I made me pools of water to water uh, therewith the woods that bring f uh, forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all uh, that were in Jerusalem before me. And I gathered me also silver and gold and uh, <clears throat> the peculiar treasures, treasure of kings and of the uh, provinces. And I, I, I got me uh, men singers and women singers and uh, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments and that, all, uh, that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eye desireth I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, that, uh, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. See, Solomon, <clears throat> although he was incredibly wise, uh, did not always walk with God. See, the, you can tell by these verses that we just read that Solomon was more concerned about the things of this world at a, at a certain point in his life. And, and he went and he got it all. He went and got it all. And we'll talk more about that in a, in a little bit. But <clears throat> because of this lifestyle that Solomon had, to maintain this elaborate lifestyle, uh, he had to uh, collect 
extremely high taxes on the people of Israel. Solomon, at, near the end of his life, was more concerned about keeping all of his worldly possessions than he was serving the people of Israel. Despite his magnificent rule, Solomon had a lot of dissent within the people. A lot of people were tired of paying the high taxes and the burden that goes along with maintaining Solomon's riches. (laughs) (laughs) Was Solomon a wise king? I believe he was. Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11 kind of sums up Solomon's life. It says, Then, after he, after he had accumulated all of this stuff, he, cum- he culminates all of this in one verse, and he says, Then I looked on all the works of my hands that had wrought, and on the labors that I had labored to do. And behold, it was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. See, Solomon spent year after year after year collecting as much worldly possessions as he could do, uh, building houses and, and orchards and cattle and, and just... And, and establishing a, a king, a kingship that no one, no one on earth had ever been able to do and, and probably never has been able to do since. And at the end of his life, near, well, near the end of his life, he says, you know what? It was all empty and vanity. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't meet one need down deep inside of my heart. It met all my worldly needs, but it was all empty. Did did Solomon make mistakes as king? Absolutely, he made mistakes. But he learned from those mistakes. So, Solomon, was, was Solomon a wise king? Number one. Number two, second point, and this is where the rubber meets the road, I guess you'd say. Was Solomon a wise father? Let's look at verse one again of chapter 13. A wise son heareth his father's instructions. Now I want you to focus in on the the. the the fourth word of that verse, it's the word heareth. Do you notice that it is an ital- it's italicized? Okay, what that means, uh, just, just so that you understand, when you come across a word in Scripture that's italicized, what that means is that that word is not in the original language. It, it's there for grammatical understanding in, in English. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so the word heareth there is put there by the the translators into English so that we could make sense of what was being said. So <clears throat> I have a question for you. 
do you think that we could remove the word heareth and insert the word <clears throat> motivate or example or actions and it make just as much sense? Because the reality is this, how do we teach? Do we teach only by what we say? No, absolutely not. We teach more by what we do. See, a wise son heareth the instructions, or, or we could say a wise son duplicates his father's instructions. A wise son observes his father's instructions. But more importantly, we could put in there a wise son lives his father's instructions. See, Solomon wrote down all the wisdom that he had, but Solomon didn't live it all the time. Perhaps one of the most fitting epitaphs for Solomon would be this. Uh, I don't know who the author of this quote is, but I think it's very relevant. In, the, in this world, there are two tragedies. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting what you want. Sometimes the worst thing you can do is get what you want. And I praise God that we serve a God that knows what's best for us. And sometimes we'll withhold things from us. But in the case of Solomon, <clears throat> God let him have everything so that he could see firsthand that having everything that the world offers is emptiness and vanity. And we as human beings and uh, believers, uh, hopefully, and uh, hopefully believers in Jesus Christ, should be able to read the words of Solomon and say, you know what, I will not fall into that trap. But what happens? Most of the time, we all do. See, the end of Solomon's life, he failed to walk in wisdom. The great temple that Solomon had erected was overshadowed by the temples of the false gods and the, and the, and, and <clears throat> that he had built for his pagan wives. See, Solomon had a bunch of wives. I, forget, I forgot to look up how many wives, but he had a bunch. How many? 800. 800, okay. Way too many. About 799 too many. <clears throat> but see, what, it, what, what Solomon would do is Solomon would marry, a, <clears throat> marry a, 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 another king's daughter so that there would be peace between the nations because no king is going to attack uh, a, a nation that his daughter is married to the king. So some of this was, was uh, political marriages, if you would, but still, uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 6 to 8, it says, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Obviously, 
God is letting us know that he's not pleased with what Solomon is about to do. And he went not fully after the Lord, and as, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh and, and the abomination of Moab on the hill that was before Jerusalem, and for Molech and the abomination of the children, children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Several years after Solomon died. Well, well, yeah, several years, a few years after Solomon died, his great temple would be destroyed. But the pagan temples that he built for his 700 wives, 800 wives, would actually endure for literally hundreds of years. At least, at least 300 years, the pagan temples that he erected would, would, would still stand. Fathers, be careful. We can lecture our children but kids see more than they hear I came across a study that that was kind of astounding to me it is how, how do we learn okay how, how do we learn one percent of us will learn through taste. One and a half percent will learn through touch. Three and a half percent will learn through smell. Eleven percent will learn through hearing. Eighty-three percent will learn through sight. Our children learn far, far, far more from what they see in our lives than what they hear us say. Our children will walk with God only as we walk with God. It's really pretty simple. If we are worldly in our, in our actions, then our children will be worldly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word bring there literally means to take tender care or to, 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 uh, to teach by showing or to teach by demonstration. Bring them up. It, get involved in your children's lives. See, Solomon thought all he had to do was write a book about wisdom and give it to his sons and say, okay, here, read this, you'll be okay. But what happened? His son, sons saw what his dad was. And that is how they lived. Think about it. The impact of a father is, is far greater how many times 
Have you thought the thought, do as I say, not as I do? We're all guilty of that one, are we not? But it doesn't work. How do children, small children, how do small children spell the word love? T-I-M-E. Well, I have a surprise for you. Teenagers spell it the exact same way. In fact, you could probably even capitalize the T-I-M-E. Because time becomes even more precious and important as your children grow and mature. Solomon was busy ruling a nation. And I'm sure he made the excuse of, well, hey, I'm busy. I'm the king of Israel. Well, you know, the problem with that line of thinking is, well, you had time to build all those houses and orchards and raise all those cattle and do it and gather all these riches, but you didn't have time to invest into your children. The idea of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is that a father should show their children how to love their mother. They, a father should show their children how to work and how to be good citizens. But more importantly, it is a father's responsibility to show a young person how to be a godly young man or a godly young woman. And I'll be honest with you, and, I'm, and those of you that know me know that I am incredibly transparent. I'll be honest with you. When my kids were teenagers, I failed miserably at that. And I used the excuse that I was working a full-time job and going to college at the same time. I just praise God that I had a wife who intervened on my behalf most of the time and would slap me upside the head periodically and said, you need to spend time with the kids. We can make all the excuses we want, but the reality is they spell love, T-I-M-E. Stephen Davies wrote the following article entitled, A Wise Father Believes Three Things. Number one, he believes his children's greatest development will be spiritual development, not academic, social, or artistic, not economic. Although development in all of these areas is good, the most important Development is spiritual. Number two, his children's greatest deeds will be finding and fulfilling God's will for his or her life. And the third thing is his children's greatest passion will be a hunger and a thirst for God. How... Uh, let, let me ask you a question. How hungry are you for the things of God? Well, that, my friend, is how hungry your children will be. 
If the things of God are mundane, guess what? Your kids will not go to church. If the things of God are just haphazard and, you know, well, let's see, yeah, I guess, yeah, it's Father's Day, we probably ought to go to church. Well, I'm here to tell you, you should have just stayed home. Fathers, we can excel at our work. We can, we can spend a lifetime working and, and doing a great job and, and, and retiring with money in the bank and doing all of these things. But if we do not nurture our children, then it's all been vanity. According to, to Solomon, it's just empty vanity and worth nothing. Let's talk about Solomon's legacy for a minute. We'll be done. Solomon's legacy. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and the Bible says, And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men. Now, before I go any further, I need to explain who Rehoboam is. Uh, anybody know who Rehoboam is? Okay, well, you just, they just call him that. Boy, Ronnie, you're on it, buddy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Solomon's son. Okay, when Solomon dies, Rehoboam takes over the kingship of Israel. Okay, so, uh, and, <laughs> and King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived and said, how do ye advise that I may answer this people. Okay, let, let me stop right here. What happened was the people had come to Rehoboam and said, hey, we are sick and tired of paying these heavy taxes that your dad put on us. If you want to, we will serve you. We will gladly serve you if you will just lower the taxes and, and, and be our king and serve us. We'll serve you and we'll be good. So that, that, that's kind of what's taking place here. And, and so, <clears throat> uh, and they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto thy people this day, and will, will serve them and, and answer them and, and speak good words to them, and they uh, will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men when they had given him and consulted with young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. See, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, would ascend to the throne of, the, of the, what, the greatest nation on earth. See, you have to understand, when, when Solomon dies, Israel is still the greatest nation on the earth. It's still the richest nation. And Solomon ta or, or, or Rehoboam takes over and, and, and after a few arrogant and foolish decisions, he would basically officiate over the funeral of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. If you're familiar with the story, the, the nation ends up splitting and, and becoming two nations and, and Rehoboam uh, uh, ends up out of the 12 tribes of Israel, he's only king over two. 
and great disaster happens and, and the ten northern tribes turn pagan and, and it's just a disaster from from the, the word go. <clears throat> See, I believe, I'm convinced in my heart that Solomon by the end of his life realized he'd messed up. I believe that Solomon at, by the end of his life thought, you know what? I have really messed up my kids. I've lost my kids. And I believe the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is is an attempt for uh, Solomon to to pass on some wisdom to his children. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. But God, or excuse me, for God shall bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon finally figured it out. But what kind of legacy did he leave? See, he left us the book of Proverbs and he left, left us the, the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, which is also is just full of wisdom. And he left an incredible legacy to us, but what kind of legacy did he leave to his kids? On the second Friday of every month, just about every month, I have the privilege of going out to the Lovelock prison to minister. In fact, just last Friday I was out there. And I I can't tell you, I've been doing this now for about six, seven years, you know, and I, I cannot tell you how many times a, a prisoner will pull me aside and say, Pastor Lynn, I need you to pray for me. And I say, I'll say, okay, what's going on? And he'll say, I, I, I've been, I, I got in here and I, you, you know, I, number one, I never ask what they do. Okay, what, how, I never ask, how did you, you know, what did you do to get in here? I never ask. And they very seldom tell you. And I never ask, uh, the other thing I never ask is how long are you here for? I don't. I just don't want to know. But anyway, occasionally a prisoner pulled me aside and he said, "Hey, you know what? I've been, uh, you know, I've been, <clears throat> I've been in prison for for about six months, and 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 you know, I got saved last last month or or you know, a year ago, however long it's been." And and he says, "I've been writing letters to my kids, trying to get them to turn their lives over to God." He said, and, and almost every time they'll say, "But they won't." Listen to me. What are they doing? The kids are living out what they saw their dads do. And most of them will say, Pastor, pray for my son. He's going down the exact same road I went down. And look where I'm at. That's exactly what Solomon did. But I always look at these men and I say, look, don't give up. It's never too late. You can still, God can still get a hold of their hearts. Dads, listen to me. It's never too late. We may think so sometimes. I've talked to a, a, lot, of, a lot of men that say, you know what, it's, it's too late. My kids are already set their course. No, it's not too late. I am living testimony of that. 
It is not too late. Grandpas, granddads, papas, whatever you call yourself. I'm a granddad myself. My grandson started calling me Bubba. I love it. (laughs) Whatever you are, it's not too late for you to intervene in the lives of your grandchildren. It's not too late. Let me say this too. Moms, grandmas, it's not too late either. Solomon actually gives us the answer to all of this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. The word fear and the word keep are words of engagement. As parents, grandparents, we need to be engaged with the things of God. If we are not engaged with the things of God, guess what? Our children will not be either. The Apostle Paul, I, I love I love Second Timothy chapter <clears throat> chapter one, verse five. Paul was encouraged by a young man named Timothy. Please get a hold of this, because this is really the answer to, again, to, to what Solomon was saying. Second Timothy chapter one, verse five says, "When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois." and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it is in thee also. What happened? Timothy grew up, most theologians believe he grew up in a fatherless home. But he saw the faith of his grandmother, and he saw the faith of his mother, and what happened? He became a great man of faith. Now, I realize this is Father's Day and this is talking about two women, but the principle is still the same. Your children will live how you live. And if you are a hypocrite at home, guess what? That's exactly how your children will live. And Solomon figured it all out too late. The way it usually is, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if it were said of every man sitting in this room what Paul said about <clears throat> Lois and Eunice? Wouldn't it be great if your grandchildren came along and and your grandchildren were were great young people of faith that's serving God and they would be able to say, hey, you know what? Grandpa passed it down to his son or daughter who passed it down to their son or daughter. What kind of legacy are you going to leave, I guess is really what I'm asking. 
it'll be one of two things. It'll be a legacy of spirituality or it'll be a legacy of carnality. It's really pretty simple. But I'm here to tell you it's never too late to change. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's not on there, Chris. <laughs> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's never too late. Solomon did not leave the best of legacies for his family, but because of the, the, the grace and the mercy of God, he left us a legacy so that we can leave a legacy. Let's not make the same mistakes. As we walk with God, our children will walk with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly